Welcome to God, Yay or Nay. I'm your host, Noor Kidwai. I'm here to find out how we grow, transform, and become our best selves. How we create meaning in our lives. Come join me on my journey. Welcome to another episode of God, Yay or Nay. This is your host, Noor Kidwai. Thanks for tuning in. My guest this week is Simon King. Simon's a hilarious comedian. He's also a really good friend of mine. We talk a lot about how people transform during their lives, and it's a really productive episode. I hope you guys enjoy. Check me out on Instagram, at NoorKidWai. Like and subscribe to the podcast. Give it a good rating. That always helps. And we're part of the Calm to Hear Often podcast network on 604 Records, so check them out too. Let's get into this week's episode. My guest this week, Simon King. All right, welcome to another episode of God Yay or Nay. I'm here with my man, Simon King. Simon, thanks for joining me, bro. Thanks for having me back, man. This is awesome. I love it. This is yeah. Great. You were you were one of my first episodes. It's back in uh, April 2020, fucking right when the oh. world went to end. Eh? Oh wow! Look how great things are now. <laughs> everything's on the way up isn't it <laughs> just just three more years into like, it's like that's almost three years ago that's how crazy like just time flies so fast that was three years ago nearly it's bonkers like those two years just didn't count i don't think i think no well like they count on your age apparently i fucking that's have to fair. yeah i have to go to weddings now and like the ants are just like so how old are you and you're just like i want to kill every one of you oh god you know what like i really think that everyone globally should be able to sit down and be like look i don't care how old you think you are you're two years less now that's the way it works that would that's be hollywood this so shit. nice that, like that would actually be such a good idea like everyone take two years off your age and we're just everyone back to 34 and you know what for 34 i'm, I'm okay for 36 <laughs> i'm a little i'm a little worried for 43 i'd still be fucked so <laughs> i'm not much better than i was in 43. <laughs> it's like if you took me back to 18 oh yeah i'd be doing great you got an apartment <laughs> you got a beard <laughs> i guess for some people it would be a little weird it's like oh shit all of a sudden my uh girlfriend isn't of legal age anymore i better, yeah, no, that's I yeah, better work on that, that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that's a bit of a rough one it's like, oh, it's like hey they just passed a law and, it's, uh, and all of a sudden everyone's two years younger who's that is that the cops <laughs> <laughs> you just all of a sudden you can't go to movies you know, you're like, but this Lego says 10 plus. I'm sorry, sir. What? <laughs> <laughs> I really oh, wish bad. they enforced those toy things, those 10 plus, 11 plus, 12, because I've got a kid, right? And so on his toys, he's very serious. If it says, because he's six, but he says, if it says like eight plus, he's like, I don't think I should be playing with this. I'm like, it's okay, dude. Like, these are just guidelines. He's like, I don't know. Rules are rules. I'm like, what the fuck? Wow. I, I did not intend on raising a child who obeys the laws. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I'm all about. I know I'm what like, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. you would raise a child who's like really smart like that, who would be like looking like this doesn't seem like a good decision. <laughs> He's looking around to see if he's being filmed. Yeah. Like, movies, right? Yeah, you can dude. play with the Lego. It's fine. <laughs> I know it's Star Wars Lego, but uh, it's, not, it's funny because he's watching like he we, we showed him Ghostbusters 2 because you can't show him Ghostbusters 1 because Ghostbusters 1 is just filthy. <laughs> so you can't show him that. So show him Ghostbusters 2. You can't show him all of it. So you're going to show him about like 40 minutes of Ghostbusters 2. He is obsessed. 
He's obsessed. He thinks Ghostbusters 2 is the greatest. And I keep trying to tell him, like, wait till you see the first one's so much better. He's like, no, no, this is the best movie ever made. Oh, wow. <laughs> he saw 40 minutes of a movie <laughs> from 1989. He's like, best film ever made. I'm like, God, to have that level of lack of cynicism, be like, yeah, this is the shit. It's ghosts. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, but look at the effects. He's like, it's ghosts. It's ghosts. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's so good man all right uh let me like uh just yeah, give you, you a little intro just because uh yeah you're one of my uh best friends in the game um you're fucking a hilarious comic who's been doing it for years and years you've uh like yeah honestly you've done shit from hbo all the way to just for last traveled the fucking continent and uh the uk doing comedy in europe so like you're very well established, one of my good friends. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Anything you want to add to that? <laughs> I mean, you didn't use the word Messiah as much as I'd like. But... <laughs> Imagine putting that in your bio. <laughs> I love when people give you bio. Like, that was really lovely and way too complimentary. But I love when you do like, a, like an open mic or something. And there's like, you know, eight comics there and then three audience members. And then someone gives you an intro like that. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> like, because all now these people just feel sorry for me because they're like, he did all that. And like, yes, <laughs> to be here with us. Like, why is he here? What's happening? I sometimes it's... say that to like new comics. I'm like, look where it ends. Look, <laughs> you're here at open mic. I've done all the things and I'm still here. <laughs> I sit at a slightly different table and sometimes I get a free beer. But other than that, it's basically the same gig. It's, yeah, it's kind of funny when uh, you go to a show like that and you could just feel like the whole room, how much contempt is in there. And it's just like not only oh. the comics, but the audience. And it's just like the staff, you're like, Nobody wants to be here. Like, why yeah. are we all here? <laughs> yeah. Like, what's going on? What are it's we doing? Funny, it's like, when I started out in comedy, because I started out nearly 23 years ago now. And when I started out, it was, it was just hostile. That's just what comedy was. Because it was like the comedy boom of the 80s had happened. And then that had gone away. And then there was this comedy boom of the mini boom in the early 90s, but didn't really work. And so what happened was you had all these comics who, when I started, if they were 20 years in, 15 years in, they would have started in 1980, you know, mm -hmm. 1985. And so... These are comics who came through when they were superstars. I mean, these were people who were getting three, four thousand dollars a weekend easily just as a regular club comic back in the 80s. That's huge money. And they were successful and they had all this stuff and they were party people, you know, especially some of the old burnout dudes. And then by the time 2000, 2001 came along, it was just the writing was on the wall, like all the development deal system had ended. Um, reality TV had started taking over. So writing gigs were drying up. This was the Internet was coming, but no one really knew what it was yet in terms of like. And so people forget there was this kind of weird desert time between the late nineties and sort of the mid aughts, I guess, where like, cause I mean, a lot of people say a lot of things about Dane Cook and I'm not going to get into what I think about his comedy or what I think about it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What you can say about that guy is he did something at him and the original Kings of comedy tour. And that they proved to the industry that you could make money without having a sitcom. You could sell arenas, you could sell huge venues. So all of a sudden, the industry realized the internet was a tool because I was in LA in 2005, 2006, like after YouTube just started and no one knew what the hell was going on. They had no clue. It was just like this thing. And they were like, they were like, what will YouTube be a thing? They knew MySpace in 0506. They knew that because I was there. I opened for Dane in 05, February of 05, and he was on his way up and you could see the industry kind of all the switches going on. But before that happened, people weren't selling tickets as just comics unless they were like Chris Rock. Seinfeld, whatever they were. Uh, and so there was this just dead zone of like no development deal system, which a lot of these comics, these guys had come up with where it was like, you go to a festival, you got your five minutes about, oh, my dad, 
he's weird or you know oh man i'm i do this i'm a, I'm a real man whatever the fuck, whatever the fuck it is and they get a show and then then that's it that's your system right you thousands of dollars and you've got a career and network was king that was all collapsing so it was this really terrible time where everyone was just like it's like being in a lifeboat realizing no ship was coming and we were out of rations and so everyone was looking to who to eat you know so it was like so that hostility i kind of miss it i'm like oh that's home <laughs> I, grew up, I grew up with that nobody wants to be be here everyone's unhappy feeling and that didn't go away to like oh what were the 20 2010 or so when it started to finally start to come around when people started to realize that there's more than enough to go around but at first that was a lot of the hate for people like dane was that he just had figured out he just took a shot he gambled and it worked and it, and it worked no i'm like yeah and yeah i i know that uh kind of uh I know that kind of like way people look at people who are getting success and like the kind of jealousy and resentment it can kind of drive inside of you. Yeah. Um, it's very, it's like, it's very destructive to put that, uh, like have those feelings for yourself. It doesn't help you at all. And it kills yeah. your creativity. And oh, like, right. like you said, like when you kind of found out like in the 2010s that, Hey, there's enough for everybody. It's yeah. like to have that attitude, um, brings more opportunity to yourself i believe um absolutely absolutely yeah. you're 100 correct and i think that and i mean i would be lying if i said that i didn't get bitter and i didn't get um you know kind of frustrated with uh, it me too it, man i think i think with comedy too we live in this really unique space where like we are so everything we do is so raw like when you get on stage by yourself you're you're sharing your sense of humor and what you think is funny with strangers so if they reject that they're rejecting you personally it's a personal rejection and that stems out to and no matter how much you try and distance yourself from it unless you're doing extreme abstract character work some of you is always invested in it and so you're having a room full of people tell you that they they don't like you worse is if a room full of people consistently tells you that what you do is great you're connecting everything works and the industry does not give you opportunity. They don't see it. So then you take that personally. It's really impossible to sit back and not take some of it personally. What you need to do and what you just said is you need to gain the perspective of being like, okay, have that moment of being like really pissed off. Have that moment of being angry that you're the situation you're in, whatever it is. And then sit back and go, okay, how do we, how do we go around this? Mm -hmm. How do we fix this? How do we change this? I used to get really resentful for where my career was and what happened to me and everything else because there was some really bad luck i had a lot of bad luck but the more i look at it i'm like well maybe it was just things take the time they take you know i'm having a, a, a sort of personal comedy uh, renaissance now I'm better now than i ever was and i think i don't think i would have got here had i not had to go through that boot camp it just happened to have been you know 20 years of paying dues but it it, it you know everything happens for a reason i think in that sense career-wise yeah you know yeah and uh that's actually probably the most spiritual thing i've ever heard you say to be honest <laughs> everything happens for that's a as close as i get that's as close as i get uh honestly though man i uh i love that attitude and like um like you said and like let's just because i know a lot of my audience might not be comedian so like just yeah. let them have an understanding that a lot of us a lot of us are addicted to validation so oh, like yeah. it, it doesn't matter if it's comedy in any part of your life and for me a lot of it is also in my uh just my relationship life with women i freaking yeah. and i know uh you've been uh like with your lady for a long time so maybe yeah. this doesn't apply to you as much but for me like i need validation from women as well yeah. and like that's one thing i noticed like um 
there's that certain energy you give off when you are always looking for validation. Yeah, it's like desperation. Desperation yeah. and uh, neediness. And yeah. uh, it's yeah. like, it's this thing that you're giving off that's very, it's very like, uh, it's just unwanted. No one really likes that. Like you, like, it's yeah. like, you know, so like when you get those like kind of resentful attitudes and uh, jealousy, it's coming from that need of validation. So, it, yeah. and like, the thing is, if you get stuck in them, you store that shit in your body. And I've started noticing it too. And like, that's why when I do meditations to try to release this stuff, you'll feel like certain parts of your body just tightening up. And yeah. it's like, and it's like you're, you get tightened up when you think of it. Sometimes I think of festivals I don't get into and I feel my stomach just tighten up. And it's just kind of like being like, all right, like learn to relax it. And you kind of got to tell your mind like, hey, like this shit, um, you just kind of tell your mind what, subconsciously it doesn't understand like consciously we kind yeah. of understand like hey we have our opportunities don't worry do your thing and like it'll be fine but subconsciously it's like no fuck it why am i not getting what i deserve and like blah 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 so you have to kind of like relax your body release those bad emotions kind yeah. of thing and just kind of move forward i think you're correct with the 100 with the validation thing there's a there's a weird mix of this i mean i was thinking about it the other day about like like in canada there's like 35 million people 37 million people whatever we got and and out of that i tr I tried to narrow it down to how many professional full-time comedians who have been doing it more than 10 years so like basically 10 years is kind of like that like 10 years it's a, it's a lot of time in but if you stick around after that it's it's your life now this is what you do unless you i mean until you decide to walk away but at that point and i was trying to think about how many there were and i i couldn't name even 100 and so if you think about those numbers a full-time, full-time, long-term professional. This is what we do. This is what we've done for 10 plus years. If you think about those numbers, that's such a small fraction of the population. And yet in that group, there's so many similarities in the way people's brains work and what we require and what we need. I mean, I mean, I, you know, there's a joke of comedians have broken childhoods. That's not always true, but there is always a similar sort of need there. And whatever it is, it's like, I was talking to my wife about this and I was saying that like, I'm just so used to being around people with Asperger's and shit that I don't even like people who don't, who aren't neurodivergent or whatever, it seem weird to me. I'm like, this motherfucker's making eye contact. Like, what do you want? <laughs> like, 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 what the fuck? Like, and it's, but, but it's because it's like, we're just so used to the environment and yet we share those similarities. And I think there's this, there's this really weird thing with stand up where it's like, we, we require that validation and I still require it for relationships from, from everyone, from friends, from, from my, my wife, everyone, because you, you, you still continue to need that. It's, it's a core, I think a core drive for a lot of comedians. Um, Cause it, it's, doesn't, it's always that thing of, I, I always feel like I have to prove myself all the time to everybody always. And it doesn't matter. It's like, it's like, it, that's why we always want to have a great set. It's not just for us. We want to have a great set because we want everyone to know we know what we're doing. You know, you know, it was you meet a comic for the first time from out of town and uh, they're really nice people and everything. And you go to do a mic together and or something and then they have a good set and you have a bad set. And the whole time you're like, what the fuck now this person's going to think I'm in it. Like, but they don't think that because you don't think that about them if it's the other way around. But in your head, you're like, oh, fuck, I failed this exam. Like, ha, and, ha, ha, ha. and the competitive nature of it is the same thing. If you don't get the thing, you're not as valid in some way. And that's ridiculous, but it's an old instinct of which helped us survive for a long time, I believe, is that we're always striving for more because we always didn't have enough. Like when we were, you know, 
early hominids, we were we, nothing. We were fucking nothing. If you did not fight, you died. You, if you didn't hunt, you were fucking, you starved. And so because we have that competitive, um, competitive nature built into us, which is a necessary survival instinct, I think that that combined with the, the feeling of always feeling inadequate and always needing validation for those things is a very dangerous cocktail, but it has the offshoot of often creating incredible artists. Like there's so many artists that like, who was telling me that Dave Grohl is like that? Like there's a guy who's just got everything. He's done everything. He's, he's incredibly talented, constantly feels like it's not enough, feels like he's not. What more do you need? But mm. it's not about that. It's not the it's not the outside. George Carlin said, you know, trying to trying to fix your soul with things is like trying to fix your hunger by taping sandwiches to your body. It's just not gonna work. <laughs> and it's such a great <laughs> analogy. And I, and I really feel that sometimes. And those things, whether they be a Bugatti or a, a nice watch or a house or a festival spot, it doesn't matter. They're still things. You know what mm. I mean? And so you're right. You have to let go. You have to let go of that piece. And that you know, I don't, who knows if you ever get there. I mean, and I don't think it's, it's like, uh, I've like one thing I've noticed just from being like in the spiritual space for my whole life. And like, that's kind of been my interest. It's like, there's never a get there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's all it is, is a movement. And like, you just have to be moving in the right direction. And mm -hmm. that's where you're, it's almost like your energy flows in a better way. And like, you know, when I say energy, like what I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm just kind of like how you're like, how your vitality is like every day you wake up, you have like a more better energy of a more uh, positive outlook, maybe like, but whatever it is, you just, you just have a better energy to approach the day rather than um, being stuck in there. Cause then like, cause like if you, if you tell yourself in your mind, I'm going to get there one day and it's going to be like, bang, one day and it's all going to be perfect. Like, that's an impossible thing. So you're eventually going to let yourself down and that's exactly. going to bring you back all the way down to apathy and like all those really heavy emotions that are really tough to deal with. Yeah. But if you look at it more of a movement towards um, that kind of wholeness and like understanding that you're never going to be fully there, but it's like a movement towards like that's something that's easier to deal with and easier to kind of like uh like go at it with a more lighter attitude i think that's a really yeah that's really astute it's a very i think it's a very healthy way to see it i think i think we, we need to start seeing everything as journeys as opposed to destinations and i think that, that for me for a long time professionally i saw it as a destination if i can just get here if i can just do this if i can just get to this point and you really have to and the problem with particularly stand-up, um, is that it's also how you pay your bills. It's your life. So your art feeds you. And so you have this very strange duality. If you can't just be like some tortured French painter in 1890 and lock yourself in a room in Arles and just paint whatever the fuck you want, and you're like, oh, I'll get away with it, you know. You can't do that. You have to be like, if I don't tell these jokes, if I don't sell these tickets, I have to move. And so the problem is you also have to find the balance of, well, how do I – satisfy myself artistically which helps me along that journey to where i want to be so i can look at the work as the destination the journey as the destination as opposed to the thing the accomplishment do i need to once you start looking at your art in terms of my art needs to pay me this much this year for me to survive that's a dangerous place but unfortunately that's the nature of it and so there's this duality of you want to be this free spirit you want to create you want to be unfettered by the things like 
you know, festivals or whatever it is, or how many radio plays I'm getting or whatever. But the reality is, you know, I need to get more radio plays so I can put money away for my kids' education, or I need to get more radio plays so I can get up, or I need to get the right amount from this club, which means you have to start because club owners, bookers and stuff, they don't care mostly how good you are. They don't really usually give a shit because their sense of humor doesn't matter most of the time, at least with the big clubs. They don't give a fuck because they just see so many comics. If they just booked people they personally liked, they would never have a full club because you can't do that. Nobody likes that many. So they don't give a fuck. What they give a fuck is if you show up and you do your job and you, you do well enough. If they get a lot of compliance, you don't come back. If you find it. So but we put pressure on ourselves because we want to create at a certain level because we're hounding ourselves to this pinnacle of our art form, which we don't know where it is because there is no way to know. I don't know if I had my best show ever last night. I don't know if my best show ever is coming up. I don't know if I'll ever have my best show ever. I, I don't know what will ever happen. I don't know what I'm searching for. So in the absence of understanding what the mountaintop is artistically, you kind of transpose material success on top of that. So it's like, oh, well, I, you know, I don't know where I'm going to. I know I know I have more to offer artistically. I don't want to get to a different place artistically. But I sure would feel validated if I had a TV show. I sure would feel validated if I could get on any show I wanted and just, you know, if I had a huge fan base. And But I bet you if you sat down and you talked to the Bill Burrs and the Maria Bamfords and the Tom Segura's and the, you know, Jackie Cations and people like that of the world, no matter where their level of success and no matter where their level of fame is, I don't think, I, I don't think they would equate that to being successful in their art form the same way. Because you still hear about these comics, they're still grinding. Yeah, you know, yeah. like Bill Burr is out working new material all the fucking time. Doug yeah. Stanhope's out working material all the time. And I think it's because it it must be nice to not have the wolves at the door. That would be lovely to be able to be like, okay, my books are filled for the next year. I don't have to worry about dates. I know that I'll keep selling tickets and people will come and see me. Now I can take some chances. Now I can do some interesting shit. Now I can create. That's the next level, I think. The problem is, is getting there requires you to think about all the other shit that we talked about, like the material stuff. Because you need the gatekeepers to get to a certain place. You need the plays. You need the numbers yeah. on your social media. I mean, if you opened your social media tomorrow, if you open Instagram tomorrow and you have 3 million Instagram followers, your life would change. It's, yeah. it, it would. It would significantly change. That's a reality. And and for, for not, not just comedians, but for everyone, but particularly for comedians. Because all of a sudden, your ability to do what you want with your art form would drastically change. And so unfortunately, our ability to create at that level is because it's a performance art is tied to that success and that's why comedians get so fucked up is because it's all tied together the business part of show business is much more dominant for us because it has to be because that's how you get to more show so it's, it's like it's like this weird cycle yeah yeah and uh no don't get me wrong i completely understand that and like i honestly think that it can be a useful thing for your creativity mm -hmm. like even like how you said, like that kind of long process of like understanding that your resentment and jealousy and where all of that kind of came from a long process of like making a career, having a wife and kids, mm -hmm. uh, like buying a condo downtown, like Vancouver, like making all of that shit work, which is extremely hard to do as an artist and making mm -hmm. that work. But that whole process that gives you such a unique position to write from. Because mm. no one's like that kind of uh, struggle you went through. And on top of that, that kind of experience you went through was fucking unique. And like mm. to write from that is going to give a perspective that is going to be unique and like 
people are going to be drawn to it who are drawn to that kind of stuff. And like, that's where, cause I've always remembered like why I always enjoyed your uh, comedy is because you do have like a uh, emotion in it. And a mm. lot of the times, like you like to use, uh, I think I would say anger a lot of the times, mm -hmm. but like your anger comes from like a real like the real anger that you have and like you mm -hmm. can feel that it's real there's nothing manufactured there and like you use that anger to like really like say mm -hmm. some fucking fun shit about the world and yeah. about society because that's what you care about and that's like yeah. that kind of shit is like where it's all about so like when you have this like material uh complications in your life which i understand it fucking sucks and uh yeah, we're all trying to do the business side of this too. But like, yeah, man, you can draw so much. Like it makes you who you are. It really 100%, does. A hundred percent. I mean, I think that like, you know, I got some success early on in the, the mid 2000s. And I think that if that had played out the way, um, just say I had got Silent Live, say I'd got the show that we were supposed to say, I'd get, whatever it was, say I had succeeded at that time, at that level. I had been a comic for five years, but two of those years, I didn't really do stand-up. So I had three years of stand-up comedy under my belt, basically, when I when that happened. I, I would not have grown to where I, I probably would have been a better comic than I was when that happened. I would have grown at that point, but I wasn't even, like I had only just started headlining shows on the road. I didn't really know what I was like. I, I was very new to the whole thing. And I didn't, I, and it, one of the reasons I had the success I had was because I was doing it because I loved being a stand-up and I just wanted to make people laugh and I was having a fun time. And then what happened was I got this smack on the nose by the industry that gave me a lesson really early that, you know, I suffered with things like imposter syndrome and all that stuff. And it made me feel really like I didn't belong there and I didn't, and it made me question everything about me. And then when that all fell apart, that actually spurred me to becoming I don't think I would be half the comic I am if I hadn't had to fight back against drowning in in what it was. So when I so when that all kind of stopped in 2010 um, and I kind of hit the road, I was like, look, as far as I was concerned, I was done. I'd had my shot. I'd failed. But I was like, I've got dates to finish out. I might as well. Let's just push this as far as we can. I'm fucking angry. And I, and I had not addressed that because I was also, <clears throat> you know, at that time I was like, you know, 32, 33 years old, when you start to, I think that's when you really start to, you know, for some people really grasp who you are and what made you who you are and why you are the way you are, deal with these things that you push down. And because one of the things about youth is you feel indestructible, you feel like time will never affect you. You, you it, it always is opportunity every time you open your eyes in the morning, as you get a little older, those things still exist, but you don't pay attention to them as much. You aren't as indestructible as you were. There isn't quite as much time as there was. I mean, I'm 45 years old. I, I honestly think in my business, in stand-up comedy and what we do, I, I can do this till I die. So for all I know, I've got another 45 years of life ahead of me. I don't fucking know. Maybe I do. Maybe I have five years. I don't fucking know. But what I know is thinking about that doesn't do me any good. Hmm. But I was in that spiral of like, I failed, I've lost, I've given up. And and I one of the reasons I'm able to be a full-time comedian and had been, well, particularly, things are a little different, obviously, now that I'm more further ahead in my career. But in the early days, had it not been for my wife and the support system I have from my family and stuff, there was no way I would have been able to commit the time I had. So I'm eternally grateful for that. And so that, but that also makes me feel like I owe them. Now, they don't think that, but I feel like I want to pay back their faith in me. I want to give back what they, so when I failed and just failed me, I failed them and everyone around me and everyone who'd ever tried and all the people who pushed for me and helped me, I let everybody down. So I was intensely angry 
not only at myself, but at the industry that I didn't understand. It was like it was like a chimp throwing a Rubik's Cube. I just got so fucking angry. And what happened was I, it just came out of my system. I just was able to somehow turn it. I went I recorded a special in 2015 called Furious. You've seen it. And and it was extremely like it was me going. It was a, it was a 180 from what I had done before. There was no absurdity in it. There was no silliness. There were no voices, really. There was no characters, nothing. It was just literally like it was literally like I'm fucking angry. And here's why I'm angry. Some people think that's my best stuff. Some people think the earlier stuff's my best stuff. Some people think the stuff I'm doing now is my best stuff. But that means that through my art form, not only have I changed what I do for me, I've been able to appeal to a bunch of different people. And I've been able to connect with people in different styles, in different ways. As I grow, my audience has grown with me. They've changed. They've... I didn't really start even building fans until I started screaming at the system. <laughs> it, really, it was really true. And it's funny. People go, oh, like, they go, well, why don't you do material about your family and stuff. I'm not angry at my family. <laughs> I'm like, I'm angry at me and I'm angry at the system. They're great. <laughs> it's like, what? people are like, you should, I mean, there's here and there, the jokes, but like, if I'm the way I am, like I, I've got this bit right now about, and then I'm working about, you know, I hate when people say they're a capitalist. You're not, you're a victim. You're in an abusive relationship with capitalism. That's what you are. And most of us are. If you have a yacht and your own rockets, that's a different thing, but you don't. And so we're all, in debt prison and and the amount of people that like it's we you just see them go oh right and it's, like, it's like fuck time to think about it because they're in debt prison because they gotta get up and they got snow tires to buy but fucking fatty over here gets to drink and yell about it and they go no, he's right and they go back to their lives but it's like, <laughs> <laughs> he's right <laughs> let's take an oh, uber home <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's correct anyway now i have that bit and i go capitalism is an abusive relationship because when you're out and around people everything's fine oh next round's on me you know when you get home it's like 21 percent <laughs> oh that's awesome ah uh, man i loved how you were talking about like because like my one thing i love uh my podcast is really about is like personal transformation so i love mm -hmm. how you were just talking about your kind of journey of transformation as an artist and like uh to kind of give people a little perspective like when you started out you did have so much silliness to you you're one of the best impressionists i know who can do impressions on freaking like so many things that it's hilarious and uh and like it's like even just from this conversation people could tell like you love to be silly yeah. and you kind of went from that and then like i remember when uh furious was there i remember opening for you for that special yeah. and uh that was uh when i was kind of coming up uh, before i was a headliner so for the mm -hmm. years before that like four or five years before that i've been opening for you on the road all the time so i got yeah, to yeah. see you kind of like come to that special and it was really like a really good thing for myself like but you went from like this kind of silliness to this furious and then like now you got your new special out um yeah kind of tell us about uh i i forget how to say it uh as good as, as good as i yeah say yeah, it again as good as or better than as good as or better than yeah. yeah so now you got this new special out um so i want you to kind of like give us an idea of like where's the changes that came in this one um what like well i, I know the name is to kind of say like hey i, I still yeah. got it i fucking yeah i'm as good as or better than i was yeah, yeah. so like <laughs> yeah. Uh, what what were the kind of changes and like what was the process when you were like uh, getting this one off the ground well, it's funny because like I, I wrote <clears throat> when I did Furious, I immediately went to England afterwards and I didn't. So my process is as soon as I write the hour, 
I throw it away pretty much as soon as I can. What I do is I mean, you still got touring dates and it's not like it's on Netflix or something and everyone's seen it. So you've got a little bit of leeway, but I would, I went to England. I hadn't put it out yet. And so I was still using that material, but I was working that material. And so it's still in that mindset, but <clears throat> because I'd already, I'd already recorded it. I didn't need to keep the jokes the same way that they were. I didn't need to have that. I could start to fiddle with them. And so what I started to do was I started to be like, what if I took the same premise and, you know, majority of the same punchlines, but I got to it a different way. What if I just decided to let myself go and see, cause I was in a brand new scene at the time. Nobody knew me. There was no expectation. Um, I didn't call in any favors to get work when I got there. I, I started out from the bottom. I went and you know took names out of a hat at an open mic because I figured this is a great way for me to, okay, at that point, I was 15 years into comedy. Why don't I put a little button on this and then we'll try and see if I've still got whatever it was that I was before. If I did, I get out of my system. And in the process, I realized that like, I couldn't ever go back to being just a goofy guy. That wasn't because I'm, I was 22 when I started. And at that point I was, you know, 37 or whatever. Mm. And so you, you know, 15 years is a big difference. There's a big difference as a human. You've just lived more, you've done more, you become a little more jaded, whatever it is. Um, and then, so I was like, well, I, I can't go back to being that guy, but maybe we should remember, because I like being silly. I like being goofy. Like I, I like being ridiculous. So I'm like, well, maybe I should just allow myself to enjoy that, you know, give myself a little treat, you know? And so what I started to do is if there was an opportunity in a bit that was more serious about like where I could throw a voice in it, or like I, I had a bit that was in um, as good as, which is uh, I had started working on it in Furious and it was going to be in Furious and then I just didn't put it in it. I did. I tried it on stage that night for the special. I didn't like it. I didn't put it in. And it's a bit about some um, pretty girls at a bar falling over. And, and, but the, the whole bit about that was it ended up with um, I can't believe they Photoshop models was the beauty standard bit. And the whole bit was that people are delusional. Well, of course they do. That's what you're buying. You're asking them to do that. So don't pretend. But then instead of just doing that, I was like, I can't believe they Photoshop models. Like I just put a voice in. Because I was like, well, it's funny for me. And then I realized I'm like, well, hold on a second. Like, I'm a big proponent of it. It, it has to be funny no matter what. Even at, at the depths of that time, you know, between sort of 2010 and 2015, when I was working all that really hard stuff, I still realized it has to be funny. If it's not funny, yeah. I'm not doing my job. Yeah, so yeah. A spoonful of sugar helps the medicine, right? And so I was like, well, what if we just add a little more sugar? Like, the medicine's still there. Because I learned how to do it. Because... I learned how to get the points across I wanted without all that stuff, but I still love doing that stuff. So why don't you just start putting it on? And then that kind of was the evolution process of like, what's a bit, because I was just still in the mindset of how when I wrote Furious and stuff like that, I was like, what about this really heavy topic? Like, I don't know, like um, assisted suicide. Let's take that heavy topic. It's a heavy topic. How do we make it funny? We'll make it funny like this. Okay, these are the jokes. So I would go out and I would rant out the piece. I would work it out without any of the characters' voices, whatever I wanted to do. And then as I started to do the piece, I started to let myself just color outside the lines a bit. They're like, well, what if now we're talking about grandpa? What if we just did grandpa's voice? Or what if we just, you know what I mean? And we just started doing that. And then it evolved into this kind of yin and yang thing where both sides of my personality, the side that I had long kind of put away and the side that I just cultivated or just understood, I put them together and it just felt much more whole. Mm -hmm. And so in the meantime, before I put out... Um, as good as or better than I, I did a, a clean album um, just for the fun of it called one for the money where I just, I didn't perform the stuff. I, I think I'd done two of the jokes 
before ever. And the rest of it was just, I just wrote an album. I'd never sat down and just wrote because I'd go on stage and write, right? So I go on and I, so I sat down and wrote jokes. So I, I wanted to teach myself that. So I taught myself that process as well. So as I was developing this, I was slowly but surely adding to sort of the pyramid, just all these little things. And then it, it got to the point where all of those skills sort of came together and the material started to feel, it was like, it, it's like learning a new language. And for the for the longest time, it's just clunky bits of vocabulary and you're trying to understand, you're trying to learn words. And then one day you're in an elevator and someone's speaking Mandarin and you're like, I understand them. Like it was that moment, it's that moment of like, I, one day you're on stage and like, I understand what I'm saying. I understand, I mean, there's still a lot of work to do, but I understand how I'm doing and it feels comfortable and it makes sense. And so that was just me, like just being like, all right, let's just, let's just talk about all the things we want to talk about but let's talk about them the most comfortable way we can. Because if you talk to me off stage, I'm not screaming and ranting and raving. Like I have passionate ideas. I have principles, but I'm also ridiculous. Like you said, I'll throw voices in all the time. I'm a fucking goofball. So it's like, <laughs> how do I figure out a way to, to take all this political, social commentary, satire, everything I'm doing, and take all this stupid, goofy impressions, ridiculous voices stuff, and just make them a thing? Like, how do we do that sort of Robin Williams, George Carlin hybrid type thing. How do we make that happen? And I was like, cause I felt like it was in there. And I, I think I'm starting to figure it out. I've just got a lot of work to do, but as good as or better than was kind of like that because it's called that because years ago, and there's a comic who had just come to Vancouver and uh, we, we did a, a show together and had New Year's Eve show or something and we were drinking and stuff. And he said to me, he's like, oh yeah. He goes, when I first came to Vancouver, I saw you. This was back in like 2013. He goes, I saw you and I was like blown away. He goes, I couldn't believe this guy. And he go, and, and then he's like, and then another comic told me how funny you used to be. And I was like, fuck. He meant it in a nice way, but I was like, oh, okay. So like, there's people out there who don't. So I was like, let's prove to myself and to everybody else that I'm as good as or better than I ever was. Mm. And I think I did it with this. I mean, a lot of people are, you know, the special, you, you know, you've got a few thousand fans and they, they watched it and they're always going to be on board anyway. But what I'm getting is the response from people is that like a lot of people are saying they've seen people who have been following me for, you know, 15 years and they're saying this is the best stuff I've ever done. And I'm happy to hear that because that's that validation. Right. So yeah, I took yeah. a chance. I did the thing. Now I've got enough validation to remind me that, OK, this is it's it, it, I don't think I have the fortitude to if I did something for everyone, like when Dylan went electric, I don't think I have the fortitude to be like. No, I'm right. I'm going to keep doing this. I don't think I have the courage for that. So I'm very glad that I get a little bit of that validation that continues to push me down the road. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, like no, I feel like I'm climbing a hill and there are just enough people or just enough things pulling the rope, helping me get up the hill. I don't think I could climb it myself. I, I'm, I'm realistic about my limitations. I just don't have the, the necessary hubris that I think you need to just put your foot down regardless. I just don't have it. I don't have, I don't have the confidence. And so this was a nice way of to be reminded that no, I'm doing the right thing. And I think I'm going in the right direction. And so the new hour I'm writing that I'm about halfway through now is actually much more personal. I'm talking about for the, because I, that's the one thing I've never done. I've never talked about myself really on stage. I mean, a little bit, but never. And so it's, it's one of those things that it, the whole stuff, I mean, there's still the social and political stuff, but instead of being 90% social political and 10%, jokes about me or whatever it's now probably 80 percent about me and the way my brain works and how i feel and what what motivates comedians and how we work and then maybe 20 percent like you know capitalism or whatever it is <laughs> that also affects you right because that's part of it as well right like if we lived 
with universal basic income in a completely socialist society and people would be free to pursue their arts and dreams more, I think that it I I think it would have a very positive effect, but also it would make it um so I I I don't know. There's there's a little part of me that's that old like 1950s drill sergeant like you gotta suck it up so <laughs> i think that's the alberta road comic in me. yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah you gotta how yeah, many times yeah. do we do shit rooms where we're both just like oh fucking hell we gotta do grand prairie on a wednesday <laughs> yeah yeah well i and i know like uh like the idea of like whatever the universal basic income or whatever you're saying, like, I do understand, like, helping people is a great thing. But yeah, you're right. There's like that, there is that personal, like, responsibility you have to take mm -hmm. on yourself to make you better, because nothing feels good in art, if you didn't really push it yourself and mm -hmm. get it yourself. Like, I'm I, that's one thing I noticed, because for years, I was just like, Oh, damn, like, sometimes I would like look at a bit from Bill Burr, and I'd be like, Oh, wouldn't that be amazing if I could just have that bit, and I could just run around and use it. And yeah. then like, you realize like, no, like, that's yeah. a bit like the whole reason bits are amazing. It's like you go through the process of making it. And there's such a fulfilling oh yeah feeling in that like once you go through that and like how you just described the whole going from one place of anger to another place of silliness and being able to bring those through like think about how like beautiful and organic that sounds think mm -hmm. about like how natural that is and like how it kind of talks about how your mind and creativity works when you really like think about like those things coming together in this like kind of like soup of like just like you know it's just like that i love yeah. that shit and like I, I really uh yeah no i really appreciate you uh like kind of like just explaining how that works because i think that's beautiful man one of the great things i think that's that's so good about stand-up particularly is that there really are no shortcuts like because if you if you were at all doing it for the right reasons because you're right like you could see a bit and be like oh man i would murder with that bit if that if if i but it's not your, it would never feel the same. There's nothing better than, and I mean, I think this is mostly what I'm addicted to these days. It's like last night I did an open mic and I went, because I've been trying to get out more, trying to work more uh, just to work this new hour. Cause I've got about half of it done. The other half is just too dark to drop. I can't just drop into an open mic and do this shit. I just can't. It's just, it'll fucking show up. It's because it's one thing if they know you, but like, if they don't know you, it's like, Phew. and so, um, which is, you know, it's stuff I want to talk about, but there's nothing better than figuring a way. Like I took a bit last night that was quite dark. Um, and, and I went up and I did it in such a way that I was able to get away with it. I was able to, I figured out it was funny. I saw the bits of it that were funny. I, I, it's almost like I was looking directly at like stereo knobs and I could see, oh, I can still turn this up here. It works great like this, but if I turn it up a little bit here, I turn it a little bit, but I now know it works. There's nothing better than that feeling of going up with an incredibly fucked up strange idea or something that doesn't make any sense or wondering and going out and like going out on a limb and being like, does this relate to people? Because comedy, if it's not relatable, I don't really work. So it's mm -hmm. like you have to have some sort of relatability. So reminding yourself that yet not only are you still seeing those things the way you saw those things before that gives you that observational kind of what do they say? Comedians can stop doing comedy but they'll never stop being comedians because they always see things differently you'll be in a bank lineup and they'll be like this fucking guy like you know it's, like, <laughs> it's your brain does that and so it's nice to know that that's still working that's still happening but the feeling of you know kind of outwitting yourself or kind of surprising yourself with a bit or when it works for the first time i mean you could have you you could definitely hire writers you could have the best 
act in the world. You could, I mean, undoubtedly, you'd be the funniest, but you can also take steroids and win races. But is it you? Yeah. Is it you? No. And it's and that's 100%. What, that's what we're worried. And uh, yeah, don't tape a sandwich to your body. That's. Get <laughs> <laughs> kicked out of Subway. Yeah. Fucking. Um, I don't want to add one more thing for the people that I thought that was really important you said. Like, you said, uh, somebody told you like years ago, like, oh man, I love your shit. You're so great. And then somebody else said, oh, well, you should have seen him like back yeah. in the day. He's so funny. Like I can yeah. understand how personal I would take that too. Where you're like, yeah. fuck you. Like that would yeah. hurt. But I want to also say like something that's so important there is that you as an artist, and this applies to anybody. This isn't just artists. Like as a person, you had your own inner guidance system that you were following. And when you do follow it, you're mm. going to have other people fucking just like tell oh, yeah. you shit over the course of whatever journey you're taking, where yeah. they're going to go like, what the fuck are you doing, man? Yeah. Or like, you're changing, like, but in like such a bad way, like there's going to be people who always say like, this isn't working, but it like, it's that own inner guidance thing mm -hmm. because you're not going to really ever experience any kind of real transformation inside and that real transformation inside, like we were just talking about is where you get some of the best experiences in your life of just feeling fulfilled and mm -hmm. uh, just feeling like, just like the beautiful feelings that life has to offer are mm -hmm. in, in that inner transformation. So like that guidance system, follow it yourself and understand that you're going to get pushback because you're following that system because mm -hmm. The other side of that is just conformity and fuck conformity because like you see yeah. it all over our world right now where conformity just leaves leads to a lot of just apathy and depression and just like a lot of which we like, hey, we get that too. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying yeah. in more of the like boredom, boredom. Yeah. Like, you people know, are, like people are more desperate than they realize. Yeah. And I think and, the Internet shows you how desperate people they don't even know how desperate they are. You, you know, you, you must have this experience because you talk about shit, too, that definitely resonates with people. I've seen it happen with your act. I've seen because you're an extremely bright guy. And I think <clears throat> that comes across to them. But you're also very like you're very spiritual. You're very kind of connected. You're very I mean, the, the simple fact that you do a podcast like this, the simple fact that you do the kind of comedy you do. I mean, we've been friends for a long time. I think you know that when you connect with people, there are people out there that until it's almost like everyone's in this room and that there's no door handles on their side. Um, or maybe they don't see them and you just open the door a little bit and they go, oh, what? Fuck. There's this weird thing where people, humans like safety and routine because we're prey animals. We need that shit. We need defense. We need, that's why we move in packs. That's why we kind of try and do the same. That's why we have the divisions we do, tribalism, blah, blah, blah. It's because we, we want comfort. We need comfort. We don't understand. And problem is, is comfort got all mixed up. Like it's almost like um, having what you want, pacification of having things you know you have that external comfort like okay well my mortgage is paid and my you know my i have dental plan or whatever the fuck it is that that's but that's not what you need that that's it's not what you want sorry. that's what you need what you want is to be to, to to grow to become a human to do things to create and our world is not set up for that our world is not set up for people to do things outside all this bullshit that they try and push on you is like, oh, you are your own individual. But do you think corporations and governments and shit want you 
to be an individual? Fuck no. That's why they give you numbers for every single thing you do, because they cannot keep track of the individuals. The individuals are scary. The individuals are the people who make choices, who do mm. things, who push buttons. The individuals are the Che Guevara's. They're the fucking, they're the George Orwell's. These are the fucking individuals. And they're yeah. terrifying. These and they're un the unpredictable. They're unpredictable. And, and comedians inherently are individuals because we have made a choice to do this insane thing. How many times have you heard from people? I don't know how you do it, man. I don't know how you can do something like that. Anybody can do this. Anybody can do this. It's literally just taking a chance to talk to people about the things you feel and you find funny or whatever, because, and, and, and to, to share with them, but humans don't want to do that because it's scary. Well, they want to do it, but they can't do it because it's scary. It's terrifying. And so conformity, you know, working the nine to five job until you get to, well, I've got a pension. I mean, fuck a pension, fuck a pension. My dad died in October, right? He was 77 years old, which is, you know, not too, too young, definitely. But his entire family, like his brother was 88 when he died. His sister's still alive at 92. My dad probably could have lived an extra probably 10 or 12 years. One of the things that happened to him, which I think happens to a lot of particularly men when they retire is, he lacked purpose because he had always taken on the purpose of work, providing, being the provider. Give, once that, once they retire, once they lose that artificial purpose, then maybe whatever purpose they had before is gone. They pushed it down and hidden it for so long. He was an incredible genius magician, a musician. He was a, he was a piano prodigy. He could, he was one of these people that like had this incredible talent. But if talent is a fire the day-to-day, -day, the grind is just constantly putting sand on that fire. It's not necessarily always putting it out, but it's just making it smaller and smaller. And the problem is, is often when you get to the end of your life, when you get to your 70s or your 80s or whatever, if you're lucky enough to get that far, even when you have the time, when you finally put in your time, done all the work and everything, I can retire and enjoy my life. It's fucking out. It's out. You've given up. You're done. And so they sit and they drink, they eat, they fucking destroy their lives and they die. And and I think there is definitely something to be said for living less time, but living it better. If you made me a choice, because I, before I was a stand-up comic, I worked at Shaw. Because I dropped out of high school at 16, so I don't have any, any edu education. So getting an actual job that paid the kind of money I was making when I got that job. Because we grew up poor, so I all of a sudden I had money. I had a BMW, I had all this money. This was a fucking crazy for me, right? I could have easily been like, this is what I do. Because now I have this crazy income. Had I stayed there, I would probably be making 100K a year, have a fucking mortgage. I probably would. And I or I'd be dead. You know what I mean? I left there. I left that security. I did that. Like I said, I had a support system. But if I die tomorrow, there was all this time without compromise. What? It's 10 lifetimes. It's, 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 a, it's, it's a totally different world. Or you can do the thing that keeps you safe. And you can live to 85 years old, but only a few years of that you were alive. And I, I can't, I can't. And I think people see that, but they're stuck. And that's why people are so fucking angry because they're mm. scared and they're sad and they're angry. And that's why we buy things because buying things, we're told that the more things you have, the better you will feel. And I mean, I, I'm going to go get a new iPhone later. Like we fucking do it, right? Because... We don't see them as what they are, <clears throat> which is the trappings of a dangerous cycle, as opposed to, you know, our wants far outweigh our needs in, in, in developed Western society. Mm. But then our, all of a sudden our wants have been attached to need because you may not need a PlayStation, 
but you do if you work a job you hate and you have to escape and you don't know where else to go. You may not need to go out drinking every weekend, but you do if you're trapped and you're sad and you're angry. What did John Lennon say? People live lives of quiet desperation. Yeah. That's just as true now as it ever was, if not more so. I think yeah. it's more so, unfortunately. So yeah. Uh yeah, no, uh, that's powerful stuff, buddy. Um, yeah, and sorry about your dad, man. I know oh, no. uh, I remember did meeting you do it? him. <laughs> 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 I remember meeting him at uh Banff. Uh, we had a oh fuck. Yeah. God, that was a good time, dude. Yeah, that was. Such <laughs> I still a have fun. that video. Yeah, and you had shots <laughs> with him on stage. That was such a great day, a night. Oh, oh God, God, that was so fucking uh, fun, dude. Yeah, he was. He was. But see, that was the thing. He he was only just retired at that point. He went. So my parents in the '60s and '70s, they went on the road in a band and they toured and they lived this life for a little mm. bit. But then he had to stop. Kids came along to go back and be a grown up, and that I think is. That is a great shame because I think he had so much to offer and was doing it and was living this life. It's almost like if you were born in prison and you grew up in prison and you died in prison, you would never know anything outside. I mean, people would tell you about it. You'd see pictures and you'd be like, whatever, but you wouldn't know. But if you were born in prison, lived out of prison for 15 years and you were like, holy fuck, and then went back into prison, that would suck. You know what I mean? Uh, all right. Like, I want to ask because like my dad like uh had like a really bad stroke like a few years oh. ago too so like and he's oh, still in Sorry, like, long, yeah, long-term care and shit so like oh my god I was uh it really changed the way I kind of like looked at like kind of just my life my spirituality my stuff like that so just kind of like on the whole god yay or nay thing but like what have you kind of like since your dad's gone and since you've had a son too mm -hmm. has like your idea on like spirituality because like when i first had you on the episode like i know yeah. you're an you're an atheist but like yeah. you're also like very understanding of how our minds and bodies oh. and lives and stuff work so like yeah there is like a spirituality in there so i want to like kind of understand like since your dad's death, your son's birth, like, uh, how, how do you kind of look at this stuff? Has there been a change? Oh, fuck yeah. I, I think, I think, I mean, just simply by passage of time, I think you evolve and you change and you grow. I think if you're paying attention, I mean, I'm always absorbing information, like trying to get, I mean, just because I'm an atheist doesn't mean I don't try to understand why people believe and what they believe and how they believe and what that does for them. I think anything that gives you fulfillment if nobody gets hurt, fucking do whatever you want. Like, I really believe that. And I try and I'm an atheist, but I'm not a militant atheist. I It, it pushed. I am because I think anybody, you know, my explanation was <clears throat> I have a friend who's very militant. And uh, I was like, if someone says they'll pray for you, they are doing what they can to help you to them. That is now you may not believe that, but to them, they are. It's just the same as thing. I'm thinking of you. It's the same thing. They're trying what they can to help. If you go, oh, well, my dad died and someone goes, I'll pray for you, buddy. Thank you. I appreciate that. If I go, my dad died, and they go, that's because you don't believe in God. Well, now I'm going to shit down your neck because yeah. now we got a problem. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. So I think that's the thing. And I think so there's two things that have always been very strange about me. I, I don't deal with permanence very well. And I always say that I, I choose not to participate in linear time except when I have to catch a bus. Like I just have that thing where I don't, <laughs> I don't like it. I don't like it. I refuse to age. I, <laughs> but I don't like it. And so it's like, permanence is there's there's two things that fundamentally i think can really really are part of the human experience um having a child 
it's not for everybody. And I, I don't think everybody should. If you choose to, if you have one, it will fundamentally alter. It, you cannot help it unless you are a psychopath with no emotion at all. It, it fundamentally changes because all of a sudden the focus of your life goes from what, what do I need? How do I survive? How do I get by to what can I do for this person? What can I do for my son? Everything I do. People used to say that when I became a, a father, they'd be like, oh, I guess it's going to soften you up. Uh -uh, no, no, the opposite. Now I'm fighting harder because I got someone sticking around now when I'm gone. 30, 40, 50 years from now, there's going to be someone here. And I got to teach him the skills he needs to survive in whatever fucking hellscape is coming. Hmm. And people go, well, you know, I love that quote. People go, you shouldn't ever feel bad for having a child when the world is hard because you need dragon slayers when there are dragons. And that's the thing. You, 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 so having a child alters you in that sense of all of a sudden you have a legacy. You have something that follows after you're gone. You have someone who will speak of you um, in the, with a relationship. I will only ever be <clears throat> one person's father. That will only ever happen. That's a relationship that is unique out of 8 billion people. And this one person and I have this one connection that we will never have all the same way around conversely <clears throat> my father and i had it's the one person i had that relationship with so when those relationships come they <laughs> sorry yeah i uh, tear gassed myself earlier um, <laughs> i do it in the mornings um <clears throat> so when those relationships come they uh fundamentally alter what you think of the future what you're looking at how you how you see um yourself what you've gained they show you what you can, what the opportunities, they avail you of new realities of what could be. You see your child and you go, what might, what parts, he already can do voices, for instance. I was, oh, not, I was surprised, but I see, I'm like, that part of me is in him now. He has that thing because, I mean, his mother can't do voices. His grandparents can't do voices, <laughs> I can. So that's, it's, it's a very real, tangible thing that this human is a connection, it's a continuation of your life. And I think being that that's the number one instinct um, in organisms is to reproduce. And I think that satiates a need I didn't know I had. Alternatively, when someone dies that is incredibly close to you, or in my situation, he, my father was, he was a, he was a very kind a very loving man, not demonstrative at all. He literally never said, I love you. It's not who he was. The only time um, in my adult life he hugged me was at that on that show. That's, I have it on, that's literally it. It wasn't that he didn't care. It's that he didn't know how to express it. He's from mm. a different time and very likely based on his artistic abilities and his relationship with like animals and stuff, he's probably definitely on the spectrum. And so <clears throat> I didn't have that same kind of like, connection in that way when he died but what he was was an anchor to the first part of my life he was he was if you think of your life as leaving one one shore and sailing to another every time something like that happens you just lose a bit more sight of the shore you came from but when you have a kid or something you see more of the shore coming at least for mm -hmm. me and so although i don't like the permanence of it i have to accept it i don't have a choice the time machine's not finished yet so I don't know what to do. So it's like, it makes you really think about, I, I've i never thought about my own mortality in a negative way. I've never once thought about um, the aftermath of me dying or whatever. Like, you know, if I came off the road on a, on a, you know, a snowy fucking trip to some middle of nowhere town, you know, doing comedy or like, I never thought about it. And I was just like, well, that's, if that's it, that's it, right? That changes when you have someone who needs you 
that you know is very much like this person needs me. He hundred percent needs me, and and not even not just not what he physically needs from me in terms of food and shelter and everything. He he needs me because it made me realize how much I needed my father. And so when that's taken away from you, whether it be someone be diminished by, you know, long-term illness or someone removed from just gone, it really forces you to reflect on a, it gives you, it makes you realize how strong you are. You didn't realize you were because I never thought I would be able to handle something like this. And I'm surprising myself by, and I feel almost guilty that I don't feel worse. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not that I haven't cried about it. It's not that I haven't been, of course I have, of course I have, but it it's almost like, I'm much more accepting of it than I thought I would be. I'm much more understanding of it than I thought. With, for someone who struggles with permanence, this is the most permanent thing. But it is also the one thing that will happen to everybody. It's the one thing we all share. There's absolutely no getting away from it. And and except for Dick Cheney, but there's no getting away from it. <laughs> <laughs> that motherfucker's gonna be in the machine. <laughs> but it, it is it is this it's this weird moment of like. Cause I went in, he was in the, he was in, cause he was always very strong. He was always like indestructible guy. Right. And he, looking back on it now, he'd started to fade on the last few years. And I did, I didn't want to admit it. And so I went in and I saw him and he was, he'd had, so he had, so I was on the, I went on the road. I saw him on the Monday cause my parents had uh, sold their house and they were going to move. And so we went to look at some houses on the Monday on the, the Friday, I'm in the ferry lineup to go to uh, Sunshine Coast to do some gigs. And I get a call from my mom and the other comics that were in the car with me, they were like, uh, later on, they were like, yeah, we, we realized by, cause she was on speaker at first. And they were like, we realized by the energy, something was up. Now my dad had been in and out of hospital with, uh, some infections. He had a foot infection. He, he was type two diabetic. So he had a foot infection he was in and out of hospital. It wasn't uncommon for him to have health issues at this point, but he was always kind of, he had been in a hospital with severe, he almost died, uh, last, uh, a year and a half ago from a serious infection that got into his blood, but he got better. And so he was kind of, he was constantly kind of, oh, he's coming back. He's bouncing back. I had fooled myself into believing somehow he was going to bounce back to where he was 20 years ago. It was never going to happen, but I had convinced myself that. So I got a call from my mom and I got out of the car and uh, they were like, the comics were like, we thought, we thought something might be up. And then we saw you uh, on your knees crying in a ferry parking lot. We thought, oh, it's bad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So he had, he had had, um, he had had a, uh, he had had a, a massive, massive heart attack. And then on the way to um, the heart unit at the other hospital, he had uh, four more. So it was, he had, yeah. And he had had um, oxygen starvation in his brain. It's cumulative, right? So he was, his heart had stopped beating for, you know, sort of like two or three minutes at a time. And they got it started again and it was stopped, but it's cumulative. So it had been 40 plus minutes of oxygen starvation. So even if he had come back, what would have come back? And he would have, he was far too... I was far too respectful of him and who he was. He would never have wanted that. And so he never did regain consciousness. Um, I went and did my gigs, which were some wild shows. I'll tell you that shit. Because there was nothing I could do. There was nothing I could do. I mean, it was literally like he was in the hospital. um, And they were like, the surgeons were like, we'll do this uh, uh, angioplasty. And, uh, you know, sort of a week. We'll know in a week sort of thing. That's what I was given time frame wise. So on the Friday, I did the show. The Saturday, I did the show. And the, the comics that were with me were the most amazing. They were the most amazing fucking people because my whole world's collapsing. And they were just just dynamite, dynamite fucking guys that couldn't have asked for. It. So I got back on the Sunday. I went to the hospital Sunday uh, afternoon, 
I came home, I, I passed out because I hadn't slept for three days. I passed out. And, I, and my mom had said to me, she's like, well, we don't know anything, you know, for a while. I went to the hospital uh, to see if she was there. She was not there. I went to her house. When I got there, she had just got the call that we need to go. And so it was like this kind of weird. Uh, the hardest part about it was telling my son because he was um, not super close with my dad because unfortunately COVID was going to get to see him yeah, as much. Yeah, yeah. But, but telling him was difficult because it made me accept what it made me think oh i'm gonna do this to him one day it was that yeah. really weird moment of like what's happening to me the pain i'm feeling all i could think about was like i'm gonna do this to him like all i was thinking about was protecting him from it was the it was a very 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 strange experience you would think it's like and it is it tears your life apart but you would think it would be this kind of weirdly ultimate selfish moment what people keep telling me they're like Oh man, if you just want to get drunk for a month, do whatever you guys do. I'm like, I don't really feel like that. Like, I just kind of feel like, I just kind of want. I don't know. I just, if it, it feels weird that things are normal, you know what I mean? Like, it feels like everything. It feels like the world should be like a, I don't know, a slightly different color, or gravity shouldn't work the same way, or something. You know, it's like such a big <laughs> thing, but it's it's not. There's no fanfare. There's no explosions. It's just he was there. They turned off the machine. He wasn't there. Yeah. It's like, and I think the atheism part actually helps me with this because the idea, the fundamental belief that whatever he was transcends his physical being in the memory of him, in, in who he is and who I, who talked about him, the stories when we did the memorial for him, the amount, there were hundreds of people there. My dad was an introvert. There were hundreds of people there. It was remarkable. And it was because he had in his, and that was surprising to me. It was, he had in his own way touched all these lives. I remember who he was, his spirit, his soul, because I believe as an atheist, there is kind of a soul. It is the collection of all the memories and thoughts and ideas and who you are and all the experiences, all the minute choices, everything you've ever done is what I would say is a soul. It is the being of, because we're just meat. So there's something else happening in there. Now, I don't think it's divine, but I definitely think it's something. Yeah. And so I believe that when he died, his physical body died, but his physical body wasn't what contained who he was. We are what contains who he was. So as long as someone remembers you, you are alive. And that is why I think if I this had happened before I had a child, I would be handling it much worse. Because I think I can see now, because all that pain of being like, I'm going to cause my son to feel this. I also, when that epiphany came over, I'm going to like, okay, I'm just going to live the best life I can and do the best I can for him. So when this happens, because it will happen, uh, the memories of him, the memories he has of me can be what I want him to remember. What I want, flaws and all. And death is like, I, I don't even, it, it it's such a fundamental part of the human experience. And it's something we all kind of weirdly pretend isn't going to happen or we hope. I mean, we live in this really weird moment of like hoping it never happens knowing. And that's why I think age is so scary because as you get older, I mean, we've all lost a bunch of comedians in the last few years, you know, like, I mean, what have I, I mean, I've lost six or seven people that were close to me in the last two years. Like mm -hmm. it's just been like, like this, some of them young. I mean, you know, some of them in their forties, some of them in their thirties, and it makes you realize that death doesn't give a fuck how old you are. Death doesn't give a fuck how much money you have. It doesn't give a fuck about anything. None of it matters. Because just as much as he was this vital, alive person 
who told jokes and was silly and I could call him and ask him dumb questions I knew the answer to just to talk to him. Now he's gone. Nothing's changed other than the fact that he's not there anymore. The world hasn't stopped. The world hasn't, you know, Isaac Newton died. Fucking guy invented gravity, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Before that, it was fucking brutal. Balloons, yeah. <laughs> balloons, balloons were ridiculous. But like, but so it doesn't, all that matters is, is, is who, who you are and how you affect the people around you. And that's why family and friends and everything, that's, that's the shit that's important. Yeah, yeah. man. Uh, dude, thanks. Uh, yeah, thanks for sharing that. That's powerful. And uh, yeah, I love the like progression and your uh, like the way you look at the like, spirituality and that stuff. I, I think I'm going to bring you over to my side in a few years. <laughs> you're, you're coming that direction. You'll just, get, just get me to do ayahuasca. And fucking... <laughs> yeah, I don't know, dude. Ayahuasca will fucking put a tip you over. You're going to be you're going to be praying for people after that shit <laughs> I do see i'll the, pray for you <laughs> i totally see the comfort and i get it and i get it. and like i said whatever gives people comfort it, it it whatever makes you feel whole or happy or i don't have any problem with it i mean if no one's getting hurt why would anybody care what anyone believes or thinks or feels that's your own personal thing that's your journey your thing and i i love that we can have discussions about this i have friends who are uh, extremely religious and i have friends that are not at all militant atheists and i have everything and, and i love that the ultimate thing that seems to bind you know those people who are not zealots about it together seems to be that like yeah this mutual respect for everyone's process and everyone's you know i believe there is more to life than just the physical i don't believe it's divine i believe that weirdly enough we are our own it's like this kind of like existential thing i believe we are our own gods we create our own world because every choice you make creates your world every choice you make changes the world around you you can choose to be a complete asshole your world is different than if you choose to be a kind person you can choose to pursue money and chase your life will be completely different than if you're a person who lives in a van these are choices that control the world it's your world but they control the world and they control how you will be seen and how you will be remembered and your legacy. So your life that lives on after you, your spirituality, your, your soul is completely created by your choices. And so even though there's, to me, there's not an entity overseeing everything, you are the entity that, that affects your life. You are the one who controls it. You are the one who builds how the world sees you, how you see the world, how you feel, how everything and and it's amazing to watch people go through the process of changing when someone really legitimately has a spiritual quote unquote awakening or becomes more aware of themselves or lets go of things or opens up or feels more or change it's it's a beautiful thing to watch someone evolve spiritually like mentally and uh, you know and going back to stand up i think that's been part of my process too as a stand up <clears throat> is that i've been evolving as a person and hopefully my art is reflecting that. Hell yeah. All right, buddy. Uh, let my audience know where they can find you. Man. <clears throat> um, well, I got a <clears throat> special as good as or better than, and that's on my YouTube channel. Um, and you can basically, if you go to uh, this is simonking.com, all the links are there, all my socials and stuff. And I post clips, I'm trying to post clips every day because I want to be irritating on the internet. So um, basically, uh, yeah, you can find me there. Uh, all my links, my tour dates and everything are uh, thisissimonking.com. If you want to follow me on Twitter, at Unfamous, TikTok, this is Simon King, Instagram, this is Simon King. And yeah, that's it. 
Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> ah, thanks so much for this, buddy. This was Thank fun. you, man. It was so nice to talk to you again. Holy shit. It's been forever. All right. That was another episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. Please like and subscribe to the podcast. Give it a good rating. That always helps. And share it with like-minded people. I really do appreciate that. You can check me out at NewerKidY on Instagram. Or check out my website, newerkidy.com. You can see my comedy. You can see my comedy dates that are coming up and all that other information. We're part of the comedy here often, Podcast Network on 604 Records. But I'll see you next time on another episode of God Yay or Nay.